Hi, and welcome to the Expansive Podcast. My name is Erin Kruger, and on the other side, I have my co-host, the ever-elegant Mr. John Sane. John, how are you doing, brother? Um, wonderful, thank you. Very well. Um, I'm sitting in the mountains here, uh, and it seems like we're in the clouds this morning, so if my sound is a little bit out, my apologies to all the listeners. Wonderful to have you join us, uh, Ian. We have a fantastic guest this morning, uh, somebody with an extensive um, sort of experience in the world of corporate uh, leadership, and he's going to be sharing with us some really exciting things. Eric, how are you doing there in Joburg? Yes, all good. Um, if you are listening to this, this is day one of lockdown in South Africa. So we kicked into gear last night at midnight. So 21 days ahead of us. Um, hopefully it's only 21 days. But chances are it might be a little bit longer than that. Uh, but listen, let's dive straight in. Ian, so again, thank you for joining us. To just give the listeners a bit of an idea of who you are, um, what do you do at the moment? Um, what have you done in the past? And uh, just what sort of keeps you busy at the moment? Thanks, Eric. Thanks, John. So I was a corporate jockey, I guess, for 25 years, working all around the world, mainly in technology and back office roles for brands such as Barclays Bank, SAB Miller, and then most recently with the South African telecommunications company Telcom. Uh, I became the chief executive officer of Africa's largest technology company, BCX, in 2017 and ran that for several years. Mm -hmm. And then actually had had enough of large corporate life and stepped off the merry-go-round, mm -hmm. took a bit of time to reflect and think about on some of those experiences. All those learnings together in a book called The Other End of the Telescope, which launched last year. And since then, I've really been using that book as a platform uh, both for some keynote speaking work, but also to help advise other companies from behind the scenes in terms of how to react to change and how to get stuff done. Mm. And then most recently, I've joined the boards of three or four companies, again, to try and use some of my experience to help them adopt to the new digital world. And in the last month or two, to a very different kind of world, which is how do we respond to a pandemic like COVID-19? Perfect. Listen, so, I mean, jumping straight into what's been happening for you on those boards, uh, what has the experience been like during this time? And are there some examples that you can share with us of things that you guys have had to do, hard decisions that you've had to make uh, during this time and uh, the things that you've implemented? It's a great question. I'm chairing two different crisis response teams on behalf of two different organizations and sitting on two further ones. So firstly, I think one of the initial observations is the opportunity to collaborate, to compete for both South African and other global companies, I think is remarkable and something we're beginning to see. So where maybe even six months ago, there would have been a lot of preciousness about sharing information, sharing insights or ways of getting stuff done. I'm finding that by working with those four different companies, people are encouraging the sharing of ideas and the sharings of best practice as, as we develop it. So firstly, a big takeout for me is this kind of theme of collaborating to compete. We are competing together to try and ensure the survival of the global and our local economies. If we don't collaborate now, there won't be an economy worth working in in the future. Let's go and worry about competing with each other again in a year or two. But right now, we need to preserve as much value and equity and preserve as much life as we can in the economies within which we're working. So collaborating to compete, I think, is utterly essential. 
I think the second key learning that's coming across very strongly is that this is not a time for consensus decision making. It is a time for being very decisive. It's a time for bringing together very clear and very structured decision making protocols and reminding ourselves that decisions are things with which people can live not necessarily agree and where we've managed to pull that off in the companies I'm working with you're seeing very very quickly people coalesce around those decisions there's no finger pointing about whether they're right or they're wrong we're getting on and making it work and I, and I do think you're seeing this also from some of the more structured government responses and if you take the South African response with um, what uh, President Ramaphosa has done you can agree or disagree with the decisions being made but you need to admire the decisiveness with which the decisions are coming through and then the effectiveness with which they are being administered. And I think at the moment, love, yeah. you know, it, 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 a bad decision is probably better than no decision right now. You just go yeah. back to what happened with Brexit two or three years ago. That's the best case study ever of no decision, mm. creating carnage. Mm. What we're seeing now is some very decisive uh, calls being made, rightly or wrongly, and people are working around those. So that, for me, tightness around decision-making, tightness around the precision of the execution of those decisions is absolutely essential. Wow. You know, Ian, that is just fantastic. You know, I was reading yesterday about hyper-collaboration. It's we in this hyper-collaboration world right now where we are, and you've said it so elegantly and eloquently uh, to create value for the long term for everybody rather than being in that competitive space. Also, uh, when we decided to name this podcast, uh, this version of the podcast called The Wartime CEO, the rules have changed. Um, and it's no more time for the peaceful CEO that is all about um, having everybody's voice heard, but really coming in with decisiveness. So thank you for actually putting that together. That's a, it's a big learning curve for me. Um, are you able to tell us what sectors the companies that you are sharing in uh, at the moment, what sectors are they actually playing in? Yeah, so it's so diverse. So one of the boards that I sit on is a financial services board of, the, of a bank. So again, that's an essential service. It's obviously critical that we're able to look after and maintain our customers' money, but also work through how we can relieve any financial burdens that they've got. And that's difficult because banks themselves have their own liquidity rules and ratios that are laid out by reserve banks so in that case it's very much about how do we ensure that the fabric of the banking system continues to operate but in a, in a safe way and in a way which can further enable our customers so that's one set of challenges another business i work with uh, supplies promotional materials workwear um, and such like to large corporates and again it's a very different conversation with a lot of people involved but are we totally essential to the economy? Probably not. So therefore, there's a different conversation around how you look after the workforce uh, when they're not working and, and, and how you prioritize. And, and this was back to your comment around Grant Patterson's um, podcast mm. the other night around the suppliers. Mm. How do you prioritize the sequencing of your creditors and so on? So lots of different dynamics and lots of different decisions in different industries. Wow. How many people and headcount do you have across all these businesses? Have you, have you taken a look at that number? Yeah, I guess if you add them all up, uh, it's coming towards 10,000 people. Sure. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, so, you know, obviously there's uh, many hard decisions that need to be made in this time. And, you know, I think uh, Grant has been a good example of that. How do you think people make hard decisions in this time? Like what is the, what informs the decisions that you make? How do you go about it? You have to have a very clear set of values 
that you and the rest of you in that room are prepared to subscribe to that help you make those decisions. And in all of the business that I'm working in, we have found that very straightforward, I think. And I think a crisis allows you to prioritize and to, and to focus very clearly. So in all of those businesses, we've said exactly the same thing. Priority number one must be the safety of our staff and the safety of our customers. Okay, so that, that's critical, number one. Second principle we've adopted consistently across the pieces, we would like to be able to continue to afford to pay as many of our staff for as long as possible. That's quite a complicated thing, to pay as many of our staff for as long as possible. It doesn't mean necessarily, I'm afraid, paying all of them their full salary forever. Yeah. It means making choices about what we can afford to pay in an aim to maximize ongoing employment because the economy needs that ongoing employment and those families need that ongoing cash flow. Now, those decisions are different by business, but it's a critical priority call. So you're prioritizing the staff first. You're then prioritizing your customers. Can I continue to deliver a service, which for the banks and such like is critical, or the supermarkets, you've got to deliver essential, essential services to, to the community. And then you've got to work out, are you prioritizing your shareholders or your suppliers next? And the reality is that you need to preserve shareholder capital to have a business to work in the future. So suppliers, I'm afraid, are coming number four in your kind of prioritization mm-hmm. there. So that set of values, staff first, customer second, shareholders third, suppliers fourth, has been a very consistent theme that I'm seeing across all the businesses I'm involved with. And once you've got that lens, then you can quite quickly sequence the things that you need to do uh, in the right order. You know, what I, what I think a lot of businesses are failing to do is to establish that up front. If they're going to a meeting is to say, we're going to make some big decisions today, but let's first talk about the values that we have that will inform the decisions. I think they're in such a panic that they just jump straight to the decision. And then it becomes very convoluted and very difficult to make the right decision in the moment. Um, did you guys have to lay any people off yet? Not in any of the businesses yet. Uh, in all cases, I say, and, and we're looking at, but they're different businesses in different sectors. At the moment, we are managing to continue to pay people. We don't know how long the so-called lockdown period will be. But I fear almost for the period after that, when in some respects lockdown gives a, a process where people have some certainty of what's happening. But when lockdown begins to get relaxed, whether it's here or in the UK or wherever else, what other emerging economic platforms will be put in place to help people trade and survive? How much long-term liquidity has been destroyed in the marketplace and long-term cash in people's pockets to buy stuff? I think all of us are very fearful around that medium-term impact as much as the short-term. Mm-hmm. Ian, um, you said employee, customer, shareholder, supplier. Um, could you tell me what you're doing for the customer there? And so when you say you're protecting the customer, how, how, what, are your, what are your sort of practices around that? Well, it depends. Again, the, the different businesses have different customer contacts. So where you're talking about mm-hmm. a bank branch, we have customers coming into the bank branch. So it's just a very fundamental okay. stuff. Have we made sure right. that the branch is hygienic uh, and right. it's been sanitized properly and so on? But then more importantly... Right. Can those consumers continue to get their cash uh, online? What are our digital platforms that allow our customers to deal with us? Can they receive money in a different way? Can they transmit money in a different way that doesn't involve touching cash? 
cash right, has already right. been identified as one of the ways that this virus yes. has been transmitted, particularly on the new yes. plastic banknotes that the UK and so on have got. So you, know, you want yes. to minimize the use of banknotes and maximize the use of digital channels. So there's lots of things like that that you can do to prioritize uh, your customer. Okay. So um, in, in your businesses that you are, that you are chairing, um, I think there's obviously a process of going about um, surviving. It's like, okay, so how do we survive this and how do we make sure we get through this? At what point or have you already looked at some new ways to create income or are there any sort of side businesses or side sort of avenues or parallel businesses that you guys have started looking at yet or are you just worried about buttoning down and surviving through this for now? So at the moment, our focus has absolutely been on how do we manage for cash? In other words, how do we make sure that we keep sufficient cash in the business to allow us to have a future? Mm. We're beginning, though, I think, to draw breath from through that phase. We've now got three weeks of lockdown. So I've been saying to all of the management teams, this is three weeks of thinking time. Yeah. How do we use that three weeks to reimagine this business in the brave new world that we're going to have to trade in over the next sort of 18 to 24 months? And very particularly, we're looking at, does this present a different opportunity to change the trading models that we've got, maybe the distribution models that we've got, and some of the accepted paradigms? Because the world's not going to be the same again. People are going to want to trade in a different way. So um, I think over the next few weeks, we'll see more of that energy going into the re-emergence of the business into the new world. But at the moment, the bulk of the focus has absolutely been about managing for cash and managing our survival. Yeah, I would imagine the, the countries that have the early hits and watching them and how they're coming out of it and what they are doing and the practices will also help us uh, create new scenarios and possible scenarios of coming out of this. Um, I've already started researching certain scenarios coming out of this, but it's so it's so uh, changing at such a rapid pace that every day when I open up something, I read something, the scenarios change. So it is really early to try and figure out the scenarios. What I do think is going to be happening is really coming down to a place of minimalism and really coming down to a new set of business models and new values that we're going to start seeing emerging. But as you said, I think it's a bit too early to do that, but uh, I'm definitely researching it to see what sort of themes are starting to come up. Are you seeing any themes uh, or again, is it too early? I mean, I think it's early, but one of my suspicions is that two or three different mindset changes will occur. I think number one, people perhaps will appreciate more fully that localized supply chains and localized distribution by definition creates a lower risk way of running a business. Yes. So at the moment, a lot of businesses are massively exposed because they can't get the goods that they've often taken from China and elsewhere like that to trade locally. If we have our own indigenous industry, we don't have that exposure. So it doesn't just de-risk you from a supply chain perspective. Actually, when you look at a virus that we're talking about here, it starts to reduce your, your risk of global spread and global contamination. So I think, mm. I'm, and I'm hopeful that we'll be able to use this as a springboard for the reimagination of localized supply chains, which are kinder to the planet, better for our health, and create long-term, greater sustainability for our local economies. I really believe that that must be a very strong thing. I think secondly, digitization. So we've been talking about it for a long time, but again, the spread of this disease at the moment is absolutely associated with physical human contact. The extent to which whether it's basics like video conferencing are taking over from physical meetings or the distribution of goods 
uh, through couriers rather than going into a physical store, I think you'll see uh, a huge surge in the digitization of our economy as well. So they're the two big things I would point to at the moment that I can see gathering pace and traction. Mm. Um, Ian, have you guys experienced a lot of challenges with uh, people going remote? Very few, very few indeed so far. Um, and broadly, there are you know fairly data-like solutions like Zoom. Uh, there are many other ways of getting people to collaborate online. And I think the majority of the workforces we're dealing with are sufficiently IT literate and comfortable you know, with the basics of WhatsApp video chat, right? It works, but we'll use it. The, we're seeing it becoming a, a fairly straightforward thing. Yeah, it's quite interesting because, um, you know, I think so many organizations have been underprepared for it. Um, but then we've heard some incredible stories of how people have went out and bought hundreds of laptops and USPs um, to send their people home with and how they've rotated them through in uh, very strategic ways to send a certain amount of the workforce home other, uh, the others day at the, at the organization. And they cycle through everyone until everyone eventually got to go home. Um, so very innovative in that way. Um, Ian, listen, I think we, we're sort of coming up on the end of the interview. Um, thank you again for your time. This has been really insightful for me so far. Uh, going into lockdown for the next 21 days, and we're hoping that it's only 21 days, what would you encourage people to do in this time if you are, uh, especially you know, the CEO of a business, um, whether that's a small business or a big corporate, you know, where would you suggest they spend their, their effort, energy and time? Well, clearly, for people running organizations, the day-to-day -day burden of that won't actually change. If anything, the number of decisions you're making day by day, which are unimaginable, maybe six months ago, just dial up. So a large part of the capacity will actually be used up making, hopefully, the right calls for the right people. Firstly, I think secondly, though, the business that you run or the business that you're involved with will not be the same business in six months' time or 18 months' time. And the extent to which you can spend this time thinking through what will be different and how you can influence that difference is a critical opportunity for you to be able to leverage. John, any last question you? Yeah, no, I think that's spot on because uh, what I've been saying is let's prepare like it's never going back to normal and let's take this time to reinvent absolutely. And the biggest bonus is if we does go back to normal, then you've created a brand new income stream or a brand new flow. So you spot on. It's really like taking on the catalyst energy of we're never going back to normal. Let's start beginning and planning a new world that we're moving into. So thank you so much, Ian. I mean, this has been fantastic. I, I, I wish you well through this journey. I can imagine it being very hard because there's going to be some very difficult choices to be made and people's livelihoods at stake but I have no doubt that you would be making the best decisions with all your experience and also with all the new career that you've started, also having that insight to be able to help other organizations while you're actually doing it yourself. So a great mix of practicing what you preach, which I think is really powerful. Thanks, John. Thanks, Eric. It's been fun. Awesome. Thanks, Ian. Thank Thanks, you. Guys. Ciao.